You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey there, it's Blasco, and this is a new level. Welcome to episode two. My guest today is Ryan Downey. Ryan is a master of many. He is a reporter, producer, and editor for media outlets such as MTV, Billboard, Marvel, MTV Video and Music Awards, Alternative Press, and Machinima, just to name a few. He is an artist manager where he handles the careers of bands and producers alike. He is an avid podcaster of which he hosts Speak and Destroy, a podcast about all things Metallica. He is a longtime friend and an all-around awesome dude, and I am super stoked that he took the time to chat with me today. Ryan, what did I miss? Oh, man. Uh, it was, that, was pre- that was pretty thorough. I suppose my social security number and street address. <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> otherwise I, well, think, here's, I think you covered here's it pretty my, well. Here's my question before the questions. I feel like I've known you forever, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about it today, and I don't remember our exact origin of friendship like how like where did we meet initially i you know it's funny because i find myself in this situation with old friends all the time where i'm on your side of the table and i'm happy to be on the other side of the table because i actually do remember we were introduced at i want to say it was still called metal shop uh the kids know him as steel panther now um but uh yeah when they used to do the monday nights at the viper room and I believe I could be mistaken about this, but I'm about ninety percent sure that we were introduced. We were we were introduced to each other either by Jim Rhoda or Emily Burton, one of the two of them from Fireball Ministry. And it was real quick, but I remember that was our first encounter. I don't remember the earlier stages of getting to know one another. I feel like we just kind of saw each other around at that point. But um, it was a good while before either of us was managing bands. I know that. Wow. Uh, it, was, it was maybe a year or two before I started and, and a few years before you started. And I remember probably the first like long conversation that we had one-on-one outside of, you know, where it wasn't like a group setting with a bunch of mutual friends um, was right around the time that you first uh, tried out for Ozzy and ended up joining the band. I think I did a, a phone interview with you for MTV. Right. And, um and yeah, and then we just kind of became pals after that and just kept in touch. And wow. Yeah, Very that, cool. That was the well, origin. Thanks for the refresher. So look, let's kick this off, man. Um, how did you get started in the music business? When I was a teenager and was heavily into underground music in particular, um, you know, thrash metal, punk rock, hardcore, and a lot of stuff that was happening that wasn't getting mainstream attention in any real significant way at that time, I had this drive and this yearning to participate in some way. Um, it, it hadn't yet formed into the idea that 
I would be able to make a career out of it or that it was any sort of business, music business industry that I was endeavoring to enter. I knew that I loved this music and this community and this stuff that I was into, this whole culture around it so much that I just wanted to do something. I didn't play an instrument. And, uh, you know, I, I asked my dad to buy me drums and he said they'd be too loud. And I asked to get guitars and basses and he said they were too expensive. Um, and that's kind of how you end up being the singer in a band. <laughs> Is when you meet other kids whose parents bought them instruments and you start hanging out with them. So it was like I, you know, I, I was playing music from a young age, but simultaneous with that, I wasn't, it wasn't just about going to band practice and writing songs and performing songs. All that was cool. But I was also into naming the band and designing the logos and enlisting people to, to help with different aspects of putting a whole thing together. And so here I am playing in bands, putting on shows for my band and other bands. I started a fanzine, which is, you know, a little bit of a relic uh, culturally at this point because the, the access to the internet wasn't quite as prevalent and music media was still really driven by print magazines and the occasional, you know, home video or uh, MTV news type coverage. Um, and then there was this burgeoning, you know, huge underground network of fanzines of any varying degrees of quality from here's a couple piece of pieces of paper glued together, you know, handwritten with like a leaf stapled on it all the way up to here's a glossy, you know, newsprint pages, uh, cardstock cover, like nice looking presented thing that you can get at Tower Records, but all of it very indie and all of it very DIY. What was the name of the fanzine? Uh, it was called Step Up. Now, was it like, was it, what was it inspired by? Like, was, was like, was there like, did you have like a mailing list or were you passing it out at shows? Like, how, how was that working? Yeah, that's a great question. There was a local zine I got to give credit to that was called Whatchamazine that was put together by three I mean, I'm sure they were kids at the time. They seemed like adults, but they're probably only a couple years older than me. Um, and our local punk scene who did it. And they would give, pass it out at shows. It was available in different indie record stores around town. This was in Indianapolis where I grew up. And, uh, you know, Watchamazine was really the big inspiration for me of like, oh, I could do something like this. And I was also buying Maximum Rock and Roll out of uh, the Bay Area, California that was available in our local record store. And they had uh, scene reports in there where... You could just write in snail mail a letter um, telling them what's going on in your local scene. So it would be like, you know, Minneapolis scene report and Iowa City scene report. And I wrote a couple of scene reports for Maximum Rock and Roll where like the Indianapolis scene report. And it was just a little column and it would be like a couple sentences about, you know, uh, transgression just opened for Exciter when Exciter came to town or what, you know, it was like just these couple of little lines about local bands and what they were doing. So that was very influential. And Maximum Rock and Roll was also an important building block in terms of getting involved in the culture of music because there was a classified ad section in the back. And my buddy Matt and I met some kids from the opposite side of town via the Maximum Rock and Roll classified section. Because of really Maximum Rock and Roll and then that local zine that was around, that inspired us to do our own fanzine. And then, yeah, we gave it to our friends, you know, our little small group of friends at school. Uh, we took it to local shows and gave it away, uh, leave little stacks of them at record stores. And that was definitely, looking back, my entry into the music business. So at some point, you migrate from Indiana 
to LA. Yes. Start hanging out at the Monday night metal shops at the <laughs> Viper Room. Yes. Meet all these people. Now, at what point? Because I feel like I know you first as a writer, but I almost feel like simultaneously, I feel like I know you as a manager. So, so how did the, all those dots connect? Um, that's a great question. And uh, yeah, and it's funny, uh, you know, metal shops come up a couple of times because my motivation for going to that every Monday night for the long period that I did was as a fan. And that was because, you know, having grown up in Indiana and now I'm living in Southern California, I'm working for MTV as a reporter. And I find out that not only is there this, you know, I love music, I love comedy, you know, Metal Shop combined so many things that I'm a fan of. But the biggest part of the appeal was hearing like, yeah, there's this little bar, you know, the one that Johnny Depp owns where River Phoenix passed away on the sidewalk, where these dudes do this awesome comedy show. They're also all shredders. One of them used to play for David Lee Roth and one used to play for Rob Halford's fight. And um, they play every hair metal song. And on any given Monday night, you're going to be in this room of 100 people and you're going to see like Michael Anthony from Van Halen or like Slash or Paul Stanley or Scott Weiland. Or like, and, yeah. and it wasn't like, a you know, if, if my motivation was to be around fame and celebrity, there was plenty of that to go around at working at MTV. This was a very different thing. This was like, wow, this is like the rock community, you know, like, yeah. like, whoa, Duff McKagan is playing Sweet Child of Mine with these guys. Like I'm watching this in a bar. This is insane and it was and the motivation was that fan motivation and then it just so happens by being there as a fan and meeting other people who are there as fans and participants and part of that community you end up meeting blasco <laughs> you know and like yeah. um forging these relationships so to answer your question on the management thing this was the i hope i think it's an interesting story this is how management started so because it feels like you had enough going on to where you you probably didn't need to manage anyone, right? Like you must have fallen into it. Yes, ab ab absolutely correct. Um so without belaboring this part of the story too much and we and we, can, we can go back and talk about MTV if you want to and and how that that job happened, but there was a moment as it pertains to management where um I had a couple different opportunities in front of me, three like three doors I could go through. And one was MTV, and that's the door that I picked. And so after I had been working there for some amount of time, I got a phone call from Brandon Chapetti, the singer of the band Bleeding Through, who said, um, hey, my I knew him as the guitar player for 18 Visions. And he called me and said, I have a side project that I sing in called Bleeding Through. And I, and I also knew him as a, he was a fan of my old band. In the first Bleeding Through CD, he's wearing a Burn It Down t-shirt in the band photo. Uh, so we knew, you know, he was one of the first people I knew in Orange County. Um, and James Hart, the singer from 18 Visions, and Mick Morris, uh, rest in peace. Like, those were all guys that I, Mick was actually the guy that I went to metal shop with probably the most often. Him and I went almost every Monday night together. Um, and, and watching Metal Shop is where we came up with the idea to do a Misfits tribute band. Because uh, we were like, we should do something like this, right. but like for the Misfits. Um, <laughs> so through knowing those guys, I got a call from Brandon one day when I worked at MTV saying my side project is really taking off. I think it's becoming my main project. We just signed a record deal with Trustkill Records and we just got on to a tour with AFI. We think we need management. Uh, we haven't needed it before, but things are kind of, you know, spinning out of control and getting to be a lot of work. 
would you be interested in being our manager? And I was like, well, you know, my first response was obviously, well, I'm not a band manager. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't know if I had to have the first clue about what to do. And he said, well, the way he explained it was, we know we need somebody at a different level than, you know, our merch guy, our tour manager or whatever. Um, at the same time, we've met with people that manage bigger metal bands and stuff like that. And we're totally like skeeved out by them. You know, like, it's just like a weird, like <laughs> gross, like we don't, we're not into like, it just feels like not what we're not where we're from, not who we are, you know? Um, and he was like, we see you as like the perfect middle ground where you come from where we come from in terms of like the scene. And, you know, you've, you've shown up to a venue where there's no PA and they told you you're singing through a bass amp. Uh, you've slept on floors, but by the same turn, you, you work at MTV and you're in, you know, and you write these magazine features and you're part of this, the legitimate music industry is kind of a best of both worlds. So if you'd be into it, we'd love for you to try it. And I said, well, I have a full-time job and I don't know if I know what I'm doing. So if I do it, you know, we can try it, um, but I'm not going to charge you for it. <laughs> and let's just kind of see how it goes. And then if it seems like it's working and we're enjoying it and everything, then we can figure out the money. And he was like, all right, cool. Fair so this was September 2003. Um, by January 2004 um, is when they started paying me. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> and what happened was very organically these relationships that I'd made as a writer, as someone who was in bands. Around January '04, the Throwdown guys hit me up and said, "Hey, um, we heard you're managing bands. You manage Bleeding Through. You're their manager." And uh, I'm like, "Yeah, you know." And they're like, "Well, why don't you manage us? Like, we want a manager." <laughs> and um, Started managing Throwdown, uh, beginning of 2004. Uh, started managing the band Zayo, exact same conversation. Hey, you're managing Throwdown and Bleeding Through? You should manage us. We're signing a deal with Ferret Music. By the summer of 04, I was working with Bleeding Through, Throwdown, Zayo, and Demon Hunter. And I had gotten... I was able to uh, get Bleeding Through and Throwdown both on the second stage at OzFest. Think of this, right? Because you've been just doing this forever. Right. And, and I think it's cool because I always say this too. Uh, whereas like I, I'm a fan first and that's what's, and that's why you and I get along so well, why we're so symbiotic in the way of how we've, you know, presented our entrepreneurship into the world of, Mm -hmm. of heavy metal. Um, but like, think of, think of how long it's been and take it back all the way to the fanzine, and all the way up until now, right? Those are, those are the mm-hmm. barriers, right? Those are the mm-hmm. goalposts. Somewhere in there, what do you think was your greatest achievement? I would say my biggest accomplishment, one of, um, it's going to sound weird because it's, it's, a, it's a tragic thing, but, but hear me out, uh, was breaking the news on the death of Dimebag Daryl. Um, and the reason why I, I, I say that as an accomplishment, not just as a journalist because it's a big story, but... Knowing how important this is, when something happens in our community with the gravity and the weight um, and the tragedy of you know losing someone like Dimebag in such a horrific and surprising way, I appreciate and feel blessed to have gotten into positions I can help control the narrative. I would much rather that me or someone like me is in a position to be able to work that story so it doesn't go to someone else who 
isn't sympathetic to our scene, who doesn't have the relationships, who doesn't understand the culture, who isn't sensitive to, you know, I'm not patting myself on the back saying, you know, no one could have done that story like me. Plenty of people could have done that story like me or better, but I'm glad that I was there to be the little cog in the machine that, you know, is, I'm, I'm one of it's, I'm one of us, you know, and if it wasn't me, I would want someone else who's one of us to be there in those moments as someone who always wanted to participate and support and be a fan of this music that has meant so much to me to be able to be in a position of some kind of power, however small that it was to shape and control and, and most importantly, protect the way the information was gathered and, and corroborated and sourced and fact-checked and, and put out there uh, for all of us to, to learn about and process something like that. I was um, very thankful to have been there. Yeah. So conversely, how about one misstep that you encountered along the way that you learned from? Same goalpost, right? Step up fanzine all the way to now. Something, something that you learned from that maybe you wish you didn't I do. would say that for all of our talk about the importance of relationships, and, I'm, and, I, and I want to try and phrase this in a way that doesn't sound like I'm, uh, you know, when people go, oh, my, my biggest fault is I have too much love. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to give one of those answers, you know, but <laughs> had a, an era where um, I was really overly concerned with how everyone else saw me, saw my company, saw my bands, saw my accomplishments, my, my strengths, weaknesses, failures, successes. Um, and it's a very human thing, obviously, and it's something we all suffer from. And, and as much as we all want to say, I don't, I don't give an F what anybody thinks, um, you know, of, of course you care. And, and so for me, the biggest mistake I made was, um, you know, from that first time that I remember like, yeah, what happened to your bands? They're shot. And how that felt and some sort of kind of fear-based decisions that I started making for a couple of years, uh, chasing after bands that weren't the right fit and, uh, you know, signing up to have the same email address as some other manager that I thought might anoint me with some magical power. Um, that was the biggest mistake I made. What is your unique strength? And I ask you this, and I and I think that I have an idea of what your unique strength is. Is that you? You're just going to do it. You you just have balls. Like I think I I think back to step up, you know step up fanzine of just like well I'm just uh, I'm just <clears> going <throat> to make fanzine right and and or or, or, or walking into that office that day and just being like I need to talk to the music editor because. Uh, you're doing a bad job. And honestly, I think I could do a better job than you. Right. So that's, that's, that would be my, on our discussion, that would be my take on what it is, but what's your perception of what your unique strength is. And I ask because like, I don't want, I don't want people to think that any of us have an unfair advantage that any of us have been given right. these opportunities that we woke up and we were and we were born into money we were born into success we were born into opportunities it's like man like someone like someone like you you created all this you know you you had the balls you had the guts you you went and did this all yourself yeah my you know what uh, I mean? my mom was a secretary and my dad worked in the mailroom <laughs> so and i don't say that to disparage them because they were hard working blue collar awesome people but yeah and and i and i and i bristle when i see a lot of the like I'm self-made and the, the braggadocio um, that I don't always feel is appropriate. And, and that's more of keeping my nose down and staying in my own lane. I don't celebrate that publicly, you know? Um, and there's always somebody who has less than you and always somebody who has more than you. But yeah, I, first of all, I take that as a huge compliment and thank you for that. Um, 
and, and recognizing that as a strength. I, I would I would say that from my own kind of self perception, I think developing different skill sets in different areas has been a benefit to me. So and like at risk of sounding like an old guy that, you know, grew up in the in the eighties and stuff, right? Like I was able to experience fanzines mm-hmm. and vinyl and flyers on telephone poles, right? Like hard physical promo, right? Like I I I live through all that and it was so cool. And as you're living through it, you don't realize how cool it is until now all of a sudden you don't have yeah. it anymore. Right. So for instance, the resurgence of vinyl is undeniable. Right. And is it undeniable because it's undeniably cool? And if that's the case, right, as you're like, as I'm talking to you and you're sending me back into like maximum rock and roll classified ads, right? Like that, like that, that, that magazine, like you read through the magazine and you'd have newsprint yes, on your yes. fingertips, right? <laughs> like, like it was a physical experience and like, reading the liner notes the kids that made the fanzines has as like the tape traders we 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 communicated through physical mail mm-hmm. and phone calls and you're calling the guy and he's not and you don't know that he's on tour but his mom <laughs> yeah. answers and he lives yeah. at home or whatever like i'm i'm just going back to that time period man and i'm just really kind of reminiscing about how awesome that time period was and so if you follow the 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 narrative that Vinyl is coming back because vinyl is undeniably cool. Aren't fanzines and and physical flyers and aren't all these things equally as cool? And wouldn't they be cool to kids now? And can all that stuff have a resurgence? Well, I think in order for that to happen, it would have to be, I I mean, yes, to answer your question, I think so. But I think it would have to be more like vinyl uh, in that it, it, it can't feel disposable. I respect what Revolver's trying to do right now with this makeover where it's like, you know, Here's a cool black and white photo of Rob Halford, and here's a an arty video with Code Orange or whatever. I'm skeptical about whether or not it's going to work. You know, um, I think I think with Decibel, they're a good model for how to keep it going physically. Um, the magazine always feels substantive. It's it's thick. It has ex- great exclusive photos, covers. They have great writers. They do that flexi series. It's also expensive. You know, I'm, I'm, when I subscribe to Rolling Stone, I think I get some deal that's like pennies, you know? Um, whereas, uh, every time my decibel renewal comes up, I'm reminded like, oh yeah, this is like $4 an issue or something, you know? Um, (laughs) so do this, put on Mm -hmm. your manager hat, right? And, and hypothetically you're accepting new clients in the developmental Mm -hmm. stage, right? What qualities do you look for in a band like that? I can tell you unequivocally, and this has changed for me over the years, and this is another full circle thing. What I look for is DIY. Give me something to manage. Um, You know, when Andy Beersack walked into your office, uh, you know, and nobody believed in him and people thought the band was a joke or he was a kid or what, for for all the negative downside, what you saw was this dude, you know, came up with this name, this concept, these songs, this band against all the odds, came out here, lives in his car, made this video with a buddy for pennies and got all these views on it and is, is pressing up shirts with his face on it by himself. You know, you saw like that fire is there and that that work ethic is there. And it was more about, okay, I'm going to take my experience and, and uh, 
relationships and my own work ethic and passion and the years that I have on this kid and combine it with him and help him blow up to a bigger level what he's already doing on his own. And I think that is, that's what you look for. What would be a new level for you? That is a great question. And I think the answer to that and something I'm trying to crack and have been, you know, probably always tried to crack and danced around and approached from the wrong way maybe before. But where I'm at right now, a new level for me would be um, participation with others. You know, I'm one drawback to being so self-starting and motivated and DIY and punk and, you know, kicking down the door um, is that can be a lonely island. You know, um, I want to work with other people. And of course, I, I do and have in a number of different capacities, but I want to work more closely with a smaller number of people of greater value. Very cool. So last question, living or dead? Who are the members of your ultimate supergroup? The ultimate supergroup. Um, it depends, of course, on what type of, because I love so many different types. You know, it's like I've, I've probably got an ultimate Britpop group and an ultimate, you know, goth pop band. Uh, but because we're, you know, our, our main commonality is metal and hard rock all um, and punk and that sort of stuff. I think I'm going to keep it to that. Any supergroup, I mean, you know, the real supergroup for me already exists. It's called Metallica. I, <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, but no, any supergroup for me starts with Cliff Burton on bass. Um, Metal okay. hard rock supergroup. Uh, just the the passion, the showmanship, the the musicality, the 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 melody, the, and, and just watching him. I mean, just watching the day on the green videos where that camera's like right right on him, and um, just his hands, his neck, oh, yeah. his face, his stance, you know, all of it. I mean, Cliff, I want Cliff there. It's hard to imagine a super group that doesn't have the right hand of James Hetfield on rhythm guitar. Um, Cause that right hand is just unstoppable. So many shredding lead guitar players uh, that I love whose, whose styles are distinctive and instantly recognizable, whether that's a Dave Mustaine, a Kirk Hammett, um, uh, and Andy LaRock, man, there's a, uh, that lead guitar slot. There, there's a lot of different people that I would, I would love to put in there. Um, any one of those guys that I just named living or dead, um, drummer wise, Gene Hoagland, who's currently in Testament and of course was in dark angel uh -huh. and, and played on my, my two, my, sure. my favorite death, my favorite death records. Um, dude, Chuck with Andy from King diamond, and doing the leads and then Gene Hoagland and Steve Giorgio from Sadis, who's also now in Testament. Um, that was just such an awesome lineup and just such killer music. Um, yeah. I, so I think I want to go cliff on bass, um, Gene on drums, Hetfield on rhythm guitar, lead guitar, um, even just for nostalgia and the importance and significance uh, of, of metal music in my life. I guess I, got, I probably got to give that slot to Mustaine. Um, vocals. Okay. So you're saying classic Metallica with a better drummer. I know, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like I'm dissing Kirk and Lars, which I never would do because you know what? I would, I would, I would have Lars manage this band. How about that? Okay. Um, Interesting. He's still in the mix. <laughs> yeah. He's managing, he's doing branding and, and image and uh, okay. creative decisions and tour packages and fan clubs. Vocals, man, vocals. Who am I? Who am I putting there? Um, so you're saying no, James. James is cool. He's the rhythm guy. He's the riff guy. But he's I, rhythm. I, I, he's don't, really, I, don't, I don't want his melodies, and I don't want his lyrics. <laughs> I mean, I do because I just want Metallica, right? But if but it's I'm going to tell super you what I predict. I predict. 
that you know Ryan that I'm going to say John Bush, and then we're going to remember that he was almost in Metallica. <laughs> no, I mean yes, but no, I'm thinking that Ryan Downey, <laughs> the singer of Ryan Downey's supergroup, has to be Glenn Danzig. Yeah. Um, and since we get to do a live or dead, I can also pick an era, right? Well, of course. Cause I'm an, I would go, uh, early nineties, Glenn Danzig, um, okay. where we've got, we've got the songwriting and the chops and the experience and the vibe of both the misfits and Sam Hain, which are equally badass in their own right. Yeah. And then that, you know, Danzig first four albums, um, that lineup, of course, but that, but that version of Danzig, um, the richness of his voice and the, um, the different things he was trying and the vibe and mood that he had. Um, yeah. Um, man, but see, if I was putting that super group together, I would also say Erie Vaughn, Chuck Biscuits and John Christ. <laughs> and that, and that already existed. So yeah, I mean, Danzig, I mean, that is a man, that is a really obvious one for me, huh? Um, so yeah. So in that, in that lineup, are, are we cure, are we more curious what twist of cane sounds like with those dudes or are we more curious what uh, Seek and Destroy sounds like with Glenn yeah, with dancing on vocals. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, I got to say, for, for the sake of the band that we were putting together, because man, because when it's Danzig, I want to hear Chuck Biscuits. I don't want to hear Gene, you know? But if I'm thinking of a Hetfield riff, I would love to hear Gene behind that, and then I would love to hear John Bush on top of it. Nice, um, man. Awesome. Well, yeah. well dude, yeah. thanks for coming on. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for, you know, just thanks for being my bro for as long as you have. And, you know, as we, as we do these one another's podcasts and whatever other crazy ideas that we have, um, you know, just thanks for being a part of my life for as long as you have. And, um, so, uh, for anyone that wants to follow you on the social medias of the world, where, where can they do that? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Downey on Instagram at superhero HQ. And if you go to ryanjdowney.com, that's kind of a clearinghouse for all the various things I'm doing, podcasts and music and articles. And that'll link you to the management site for the, uh, the bands and producers and all that. Um, so yeah, Ryan at Ryan Downey on Twitter, ryanjdowney.com and superhero HQ on Instagram. Awesome. Well, thanks dude. I appreciate it. Thank you. A New Level Podcast is brought to you by Musicians Institute. Headphones provided by Monster Products. Editing and music by Blake Bunzel. Logo design by Mango Beard. I produced this show with my managemental co-host from the other coast, Mr. Mike Mowry for Jabberjaw Media. Email me questions or comments at askblasco at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. 
For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others. Photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy. And I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com and I'll see you there. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.